Well, the passage we're looking at this morning is Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 18. And it covers in just a few verses the three key themes of Jesus' ministry and what it means to be a Christian. His identity, who he is, his mission, what he came to do, and his call, what it means to follow him. His identity is there in verses 18 to 20. Who do you say I am? Jesus asked the disciples, and they reply, you are the Christ. And we mustn't forget, that is an answer that they couldn't have simply arrived at through their own human discovery and deduction. That is something they could only have realised through God revealing himself to them, revealing himself who Jesus was to them. And to recognise who Jesus is, is fundamental to responding to him, to being able to, to follow him. But we also need to know what he came to do. And in verse 21, Jesus, again for the first time, explains to his disciples his mission. And as he does so, he warns the disciples strictly not to tell anyone. What does he say? He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now this would have come as a huge shock to the disciples and the astonishment comes out more clearly in Matthew's Gospel where Peter says, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. To which Jesus replies, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to men. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. But we're not going to focus on that aspect and Jesus' mission so much this morning, because in Luke's Gospel, the thing he is trying to emphasise is what it means to follow Jesus. What is the cost of discipleship? And even more shocking than the fact that Jesus will have to die is that he's telling his followers, you will have to do that as well. Verse 23, have a look. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now here are a bunch of guys who have been plucked out of um, obscurity, a few fishermen and a tax collector, uh, and they've been chosen to be the closest followers of this man who is doing amazing things, he's performing miracles, uh, word is spreading throughout the re region about this guy. Uh, and they are amongst the closest in bunch. Imagine how excited they are, how proud they must be uh, at this point. Must have been a bit like um, being part of Team Murray. Comes a picture um, behind me. The 12 um, disciples of, uh, of Andy Murray at Wimbledon. There's an explanation of who they all are there. We've got the physio, we've got the, the fitness coach, the, the hitting partner the website manager, we've got the girlfriend, we've got Ivan Lendl, um, whatever his role precisely is very important. I think the only person missing is, um, is, is the mum, isn't she? Not on that particular photo. But imagine how these guys are feeling. Um, imagine back at Wimbledon, you know, our guy has got to the final, and then the Olympics come, he's won the, the gold medal, and now he's got his first, ma his first um, major Grand Slam success in the US Open. You know, we're on a roll here, we're part of something big. 
And that is probably what the disciples would have been thinking. And then Jesus says to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. He's saying to them, if you're following me because you want power and privilege, you are mistaken. I'm walking here a path of suffering and I expect my disciples to follow me. Suffering comes before glory. So let's focus in on this, this cost then of discipleship before we come on to the reward. I'm not sure when we talk about um, taking up your cross these days, we really appreciate the full significance of that and what it would have meant to the disciples when they heard it. And for us it may be um, they're putting on a bit of jewellery with a cross dangling at the bottom of it. It's a bit of a Christian cliche in some ways, isn't it? But to the first century disciple, that would have been very different. They would have seen people sentenced to death, carrying these wooden beams on their shoulders, dragging them to the place of execution, having their, their wrists, their ankles nailed through to a piece of wood, hoisted up for all to see, seeing them in agony, gasping for breath. They knew that to take up your cross meant going to your death. But is that all that Jesus meant, that his followers would one day be martyred? What Jesus was getting at here was not just the fact that most of the disciples would end up being killed for their faith, but that at the point of committing their lives to him, they needed to consider their lives in this world already finished. Daily, every day, they had to take up their cross. And to take up your cross and to deny yourself are different ways of saying the same thing, really. It is to put to death your sinful self, your selfish desires, your plans. It's to die to sin. A few weeks' time, we've got a baptismal service and uh, the symbolism of that act of going under the water and coming up out again demonstrates that the person being baptised has died to their old way of life and they're coming up to new life in Jesus Christ. And it's not therefore to deny yourself and be left with nothing. It's to deny yourself and be filled instead with Jesus Christ, with new life in him. Let's consider a bit more what this self-denial looks like. What do you have to deny yourself as a Christian? Is it just a question of uh, not doing things that everybody else is doing? You, you can't get drunk, you can't do drugs, you can't have sex outside marriage. Is it just about a lot of things you can't do? Well, to deny yourself is really to obey Christ rather than your own passions, rather than your own impulses. It's to follow him, to do what he tells you to do, even if you would rather naturally do something else. Now we know that to follow a human leader can be quite hard, can't it? Because as humans we're all fallible, we make mistakes, we uh, uh, lack wisdom at times. And if somebody is in authority over us and we don't respect the decisions that they make, it can be quite hard. It can lead to friction, undermining of authority, rebelling in the worst case against that authority. But Jesus is a leader who is perfectly wise, whose commands cannot be faulted, who wants the best for his followers, and yet we still find it hard to obey those commands. 
And not because we don't see the wisdom in them, not because we don't see sense in them, but because they, they clash with our sinful natures. We are full of greed and pride and lust, and Jesus' commands are about generosity, about humility, about purity. To follow Jesus means to deny our sinful nature. And we can only do that by God's grace. On the road to salvation, the first thing we normally see is that, yes, there are parts of our lives that are not pretty. That deep down, although people might think we're fairly decent people, that we ourselves know that we're selfish, we're we're self-centred, we're full of pride. And we do need forgiveness for all of that. And we may try and do a few things better or give up a few bad things to make us feel a bit better, like people do at Lent. But Christ didn't come to patch up our lives. He came to radically overhaul them. He came to completely renew them. To wipe out the old and bring in the new. And the good news is that he is the one who does it. He doesn't expect us somehow to make our lives better until they reach that acceptable point. His dying on the cross was him taking the punishment that we deserved for our sin. That was him wiping our slate clean, declaring us innocent. The trouble is many of us get so far with Christianity. We see our need for forgiveness, we see our need for a saviour, But we don't want a new Lord. We don't want a master to follow. That is a step too far. We're standing at the edge, but we can't bring ourselves to take that next step. On a holiday, we went to um, an aqua park. There's a picture coming up here. And there are all the the slides, the gentle ones, the, the twisty ones, the steep ones. And then there was the one on the far right of this picture, the vertical drop. You go through a tunnel, and as you come out, the slide drops vertically about 50 feet. There's so much spray that you can't see a thing, and you end up in the pool at the the bottom. Yes, I did do it in the end. (laughs) But only after Ben had done it first. (laughs) A lot of people stand at the top, as I did at first, and thought, no, I can't do that. I'll do one of the easier ones on the the left-hand side. And it's like that with Christianity, isn't it? Some people have a quick conversion experience. Others stand at the edge for years before they finally go for it. Some never make that decision. And what about for those of us, though, who are Christians? If we have made that decision, if we've gone over the edge, if we've committed our lives to Christ, is that it, though? We've got to the pool, and now we can sit back and feel happy. Does this self-denial, taking up your cross, still apply to us? Well, the answer is yes, isn't it? Because it is a command to take up your cross daily. It affects every aspect of our lives, our time, our money, our talents, our families are no longer ours. They're dedicated to God. There'll be times when we have to make big sacrifices on our choice of career, Maybe turning down a promotion because it would affect our family life, our church life. Maybe ending relationships that are just not healthy for us. Maybe having to forgive somebody 
has caused us incredible pain. But there are also lots of little things in our daily lives in which we can demonstrate that we are following the way of the cross, that we are everyday martyrs. We're not following the way of the world. Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians, he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world is all about putting me first in the big things as well as the small things. And every time we put Christ first or others first, we are taking up our cross. We are everyday martyrs. Tim Chester in his book, I don't know if you've read this, called The Ordinary Hero, um, subtitled Living the Cross and the Resurrection. He has a, a chapter on everyday martyrdom. And he asks a few questions um, for, for, for you to think about. What does the practice of the cross mean when someone wrongs me? What does the practice of the cross mean when I'm tired and someone asks for help? What does the practice of the cross mean when I want to hold back from taking a risk or moving out of my comfort zone? What does the practice of the cross mean when people don't respond to my hard work on their behalf? What does the practice of the cross mean when I open my wallet and so on and so on? The great encouragement is that it is Christ who has enabled us to live lives of self-denial because of his act of self-denial on the cross. Once you decide to follow Christ, you won't be on your own. You will receive the Spirit. He will help you if you ask him to make clear to you where we fail to deny ourselves, where we fail to take up our cross, where we fail to follow Jesus. But there is still a question that we, we haven't considered as we finish. It's um, all well and good to say, well, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. But it does beg the question still, well, why? What is the point of doing that? Why create hardship for me when there's enough of that in life anyway? Why not just go out and enjoy myself? Well, verse 24 says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? We are all faced with a choice. We can choose to follow our own instincts, our own desires, make our own plans to ensure that we have an enjoyable, a comfortable life. That is an option we have. And we may do okay. There are plenty of people in Long Crendon who are doing okay. Got well-paid jobs, big houses, fast cars, kids in good schools. We may do better than okay. We may do actually very well. We may be one of those famous people at the Olympic Games that everybody was celebrating. The founder of the the World Wide Web, Tim Berners-Lee. Comedians like Rowan Atkinson, musicians like Paul McCartney. We may become one of those Olympic gold medalists or Paralympic gold medalists on the the open top bus driving through London with millions of people uh, celebrating them, cheering them. But the question is, what does all that count for when we stand before Jesus Christ on the day of judgment and he asks us, why should I let you into heaven? He may have all the success that the world can offer, 
but that will count for nothing on that day. Jesus says, carrying on, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Those who are ashamed to confess Jesus as their Lord now will face his rejection on that day. They will get what they have chosen. Jesus will not accept anyone who has not asked him to be part of their lives now. They will face an eternity without God. The only thing that counts is if you can say, yes, I accept to Jesus Christ as my saviour. I trust that he took that punishment that I deserved. He took it for me when he died on the cross. And I repented. I turned from my own way and I turned to follow him. I gave up my life for Christ. And for those who say that, the glory of Christ, the glory of the Father, the glory of the angels awaits them. Do we just hope it will be all okay on that day? Or do we heed the warning in this passage? Because Jesus doesn't give us any alternative. The cost may seem high, but compared to the reward, it is nothing. And that reward of being welcomed into the kingdom of God is not just something we will experience when we die. The blessings start now in this life. Jesus finished there by saying in verse 27, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. There are different views as to what that exactly means. Was he referring to the transfiguration that comes next and that we'll look at next week? Or was it experiencing the power of the kingdom of God in the events of the resurrection, in the events of Pentecost? could be all of these. We can experience the blessing of the kingdom of God now when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. But one day we will see it in glory. Well, I hope you have been challenged by the word of God this morning. For those of you who have not yet given your lives to Christ, the message is quite clear, isn't it? Only if you're willing to surrender your life will you really gain it. And for those who are already Christians, already look forward to the glory that awaits you, are you taking up your cross daily? If we are too comfortable, or no one can actually see any difference in our lives from those of the world, maybe our commitment to Christ is not as strong as it should be. To become more committed is not just a question of trying harder. It is loving Jesus more, remembering his sacrifice that he took willingly for us.